Hello and welcome to another episode of Monster Dear Monster, a monster exploration podcast where we take a look at monsters from their folkloric origins to their current pop culture incarnations. I am one of your hosts, Dave, and today I am joined by a, a large cast again. We are resuming the Ghostbuster coverage, so we have Jala. Hi. John. Hello. Desiree. Hello. And Greg. Hello. <laughs> All right. Well, everyone sounds like they're they're ready to talk about Ghostbusters answer the call from 2016. And we'll also be taking a look at the more recent Ghostbusters Afterlife from 2021. These will be a little different than uh, Ghostbusters 1 and 2, which we covered uh, last time the, the whole group was together. But, um, yeah, we will uh, start off with Ghostbusters Answer the Call. I kept wanting to call that one Afterlife, but Answer the Call. <laughs> yeah, so 2016 movie, that was when it was released. Uh, totally different director and a completely different cast. They had little cameo appearances from the original cast of the original Ghostbusters movies, but they were not in their roles as the Ghostbusters. They were just random folks like a cabbie and so on things like that in this movie for two seconds so um that's what we start with and we start with an all-female cast of mostly improv comedians if i'm not mistaken yeah i believe so everyone's Uh kind of from sketch comedy yeah sketch comedy uh folks and they are a totally different ghostbusters uh set it is as if the original ghostbusters movies did not happen and this is kind of like a reboot if you will or an alternate universe version of ghostbusters where you've got an all lady team so um the first thing to note about this movie is that it has a very different kind of comedic tone from the original movies uh, not being written by, uh, I don't believe it's written by the same. No, Dan Aykroyd um, didn't work on that, did he? He, he didn't. Uh, they had Ivan Reitman's son is doing the directing. In in the uh, answer the call. Yeah. Really, I thought it was oh, a different no, no. guy. Pa- no, Paul, Paul Paul Feig. 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 Yeah, yeah. Somebody else entirely. Yeah. I'm it, sorry. Ivan Reitman. Yeah, Ivan Reitman did the yeah. Afterlife movie. Yeah, yeah. it's um, Paul, Paul Feig. Okay. So, yeah, it's a totally different group. And I, if I am not mistaken, when I was doing some research, they had different incarnations of the script that got kind of torn apart by various people. And they had, like, several different writers working on it and rewriting the script. So um, it was kind of in development hell for a long time. Uh, so it kind of shows, if you ask me, when it comes to the actual movie. So, what, where do we start with talking about the differences between Answer the Call and all that? Let's start with the trailer, okay? Um, the trailer for Answer the Call, when it came out in 2016, first off, is actually not very representative representative of the movie as it is when you are watching it on you know in its full length or incarnation um the trailer really felt like it was just kind of pulling from just like 
parts that they thought were going to be very funny that ended up landing poorly for most people and making it look cheesy and kind of in your face, not underlining that it's not the original Ghostbusters in a lot of ways. And it just did not do justice to the actual film, in my opinion, for one. It was very slapstick, the trailer, and <clears throat> the actual movie ended up being, uh, it still had moments of levity, uh, but it was, I felt watching that, that it aimed a little bit more kind of at the uh, tone of the first Ghostbusters film, where the humor is like, it's ever present, but it's not in the forefront. Uh it was maybe a little bit more so um, in the 2016 version, but not anywhere near as much as the trailer was like portraying it. Yeah, and I feel that a lot of moments in the Answer the Call movie were more heartfelt than anything that you might have picked up from the trailer. And the trailer is pretty notorious for being like, what was it? One of the most hated things on YouTube that year or something like that. Wasn't it, Greg, weren't you the one who told me about that? Yeah, I believe so. Because uh, we're going to get into this later on, I'm sure. But uh, just that uh, Ghostbusters, as we established in our last podcast, still has a very, very passionate fan base. And the fan base did not take very well to that idea of a, of a new movie being done, in, done, like done in this way. But, um, and just a lot of people, a lot of people already decided they already hated the movie just based on the trailer without even seeing it. It's one of the reasons that Rotten Tomatoes decided, decided to change their policy and not allow people to do reviews of the movies before the movies actually came out. Why they allow people to do reviews for pre-release movies in the first place, I have no idea. But uh, it's one of the reasons that inspired that. Uh, uh, inspire that change for sure, and yes, the the trailer does show significant differences. I'm reminded also about like um, I, I'm also reminded about the um, uh, like about Rogue One in that sense. The trailer was very very different than what the actual movie ended up being because they made significant changes to the movie to the movie um, you know, you know, during the time during, during the time frame. I think the same thing happened to Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that's been a, an ongoing issue when. Things are, um, they're either in pre-production and just getting slammed with rewrites or they're about to start filming and they're, they're writing like edits to the scripts on the fly and people don't know what's going on and you get a weird like mismatch or they lose directors and they're like, well, this is the fifth director attached to this project and we have to start filming if you're lucky, sometimes you get halfway into a movie and decide the director just walks or something. Yes. Yeah, so definitely the development troubles show in the film itself, uh, just because it kind of goes a bunch of different directions, and I'm not exactly... It seems pretty confused, in my opinion, when it comes to what it's trying to do, exactly. Um, one topic that was brought up pretty quickly and again greg i'm gonna throw to you was about okay so yes there was a lot of backlash to all the ghostbusters being female i could care less whether they are female or male however insofar as the actual movie itself what function is it serving having all of the characters all of the main ghostbusters being female and that was the subject that you brought up greg when we were originally talking about that. So um, I'll go ahead and give you a little bit of time here to 
talk a little bit about that before I insert. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, just to expand to, to just expand that what Jaw was saying, uh, and also to add on what I was just saying a moment ago, like like about the negative reaction the trailer got. It's like I'm perfectly okay with them doing a full reboot of a franchise. I mean, but I mean, like, like I mean, there were a lot of franchises that have been franchises that have been like booted over the years. Um, Star Trek got very, very mixed reviews when they got like, when they got rebooted like a number of years ago. So I'm fine with them doing the idea of a reboot. I had the same questions that Jawa had that, that Jawa had, for example. Um, they had, for example, just saying like, to what end were these changes done for? What was the what was the goal that they had in mind for doing it? Because just like changes are fine, but you got to have good reasons for making the changes. I don't really quite know. I think I know what they're going for, but I think the actual execution of trying to get those ideas in place were kind of sloppily handled and not very well done. I think the fact this movie was developed and held for so long is a reason for it, because the original Ghostbusters 3 that they had in mind got really got got like picked up, picked off, picked on, just kind of got nothing out of help over the years. Eventually, eventually, most of the ideas for that movie ended up, um, uh, like, like ended up being, being used for video game. Um, but anyway, yeah, so this like this whole reboot, and it's like it's totally different. And um, yeah, yeah, that's the main question I just had. It's like, you know, I don't I, I don't I don't know if I understand why they felt the need to make such radical changes to it when um when when I'm not really sure what the end goal that they had in mind for doing all this was. It's like they're making changes just to physically make changes without uh, changes without without really saying good reasons as for why the changes the changes that could be made. Because it's like you know, and like Joe said, I'm perfectly fine with them having like an all female cast. Like Ocean's Eleven, the uh, the new movie in that franchise also ended up having like an all women cast, and that movie did very well. So it's like that change is fine. I just don't know what I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure what they're going for here with them doing it and doing the concept and uh, concept because it's like if it was a brand new franchise, that'd be one thing. But the, but but because this franchise was already established and because it has such a passionate fan base. Yeah, had such a negative reaction to it. I really just kind of doomed the movie from the get go. I think even before the movie came out, because that because that negative reaction. Having said all that, the movie the movie did not deserve the whole negative and negative backlash that it got. I really was reminded about the whole negative backlash uh, that the new Star Wars movies like in Ray got because the fact that oh it's a female character like in the lead. It's like this is kind of same thing happened here. Neither franchise movie really deserved that. Uh, like deserved that hate. Unfortunately, it just kind of shows how insular that some of the that some of the fan bases for a lot of things can be, which is why I have a very which which I personally, even though I love Star Trek and Star Wars, I do kind of have to I do kind of have to give a James eye toward the franchise fan base for most of a lot of the time because I'm just like, what the hell are you guys doing here? Because it's like you know this isn't right. It's just like a lot of the a lot of the ideas and concepts that they have are are, are not are they're are just not proper to have and like. It's like so, yeah. So, like the movie was the movie. Unfortunately, was doomed from the get go. I, I think the movie was actually pretty good, um, but the actual. Uh, but like I said, the ideas and execution for why they're doing things, I just don't know. I'm still not sure. I'm still not sure. Even after talking to Joe and other people about this, uh, like for a while, I'm still not, I'm still not quite sure exactly what exactly what they're going for here with this. So, yeah, like see, like if they were doing it for a feminist angle, then. It doesn't make any sense because they have a full female cast and they even have a himbo. They have Chris Hemsworth as Kevin, mm-hmm. the himbo, yep. who is literally there just for his looks and he's dumb as a brick. Um, 
And they have him there even to reverse like the sexism, but then they have sexist comments throughout the entire movie against women and like there is no comeuppance or repercussions for this. The only thing that happens is, well, yeah, the women were right, but like that there's no recognition of it and takedown of it in the moment. So it's just kind of like a, a kind of whiplash where they've got all this whole you know, straight up full, full female crew, but then it's just got a lot of like rough, rough edges. And I don't know if it was for a feminist reason, that's not feminist because like, if you're doing something and you're trying to promote a feminist agenda, you are promoting equality for everyone. And that means everyone, everybody. And so having a himbo character is not part of that. Having all the sexism without a takedown of that sexism is not part of that. Just having the female characters in there is not enough to make it like, you know, a statement of any sort. Um, something that I mentioned when I was talking to Greg off mic was that, you know, when it comes to say Ghostbusters Afterlife, that one is more successful at, you know, presenting a strong female lead character, Phoebe, who they don't make a big deal out of the fact that Phoebe is female. Uh, Phoebe is like a little nerd girl who at first seems like the most vulnerable and out of touch person, but she's actually the strongest character, uh, most unflinching in the face of danger. And, you know, like that is a better heroine, that is a better portrayal, that is a better way of approaching such a thing, if that were even the goal. But I don't even think that the director and the writers were going for that in the first place. Uh, John and Desiree, like, what do you guys think about that? So I, I do agree with you, Jala, the idea that just having female characters alone is not inherently enough to make something feminist. And also likewise having sort of a reverse portrayal with, you know, the himbo type character also does not lean to being a feminist representation. Uh, what I will say though, is that in terms of things that we've historically thought of as feminist and ways to gauge feminism. So, um, for example, if y'all have heard of the Bechdel-Wallace test being applied to media, um, so if you haven't heard, it uh, essentially requires three different components. One being that there are two or more female characters that are actually named characters. The second being that those characters engage in a conversation with each other. So, no male identified people engaging in that conversation. And then the third component being that the conversation is about something other than a man. And apparently um, in some side research about this, Ghostbusters did excel in that area, having uh, this article counted 36 different scenes where all three of those requirements were met. So does it fail in some major ways? Absolutely. The having sexist comments that are not called out or addressed in some way definitely doesn't lean towards feminism. But sometimes representation, so just 
having women on the screen holding doctoral degrees as their position, so representing that women are capable of higher education, and then having those 36 scenes where women are just being women talking about something other than men, that is some form of representation. Well, that's good that they at least, <clears throat> that they at least have, you know, um, that element going in there because there is definitely a large chunk of the movie where nobody, none of the main female characters are talking about any men whatsoever. There are, you know, a requisite scene or two where they are talking about Kevin and how dumb he is, but he's cute and that's why they keep him in the office, but that's not the larger part of the movie. So, you know. There is at least that element. John, what are your thoughts about it? Well, I think that um, the uh, sort of the the premise of what if Ghostbusters but ladies, you know, uh, Desiree and I were talking earlier about how, um, uh, forgive me, it's escaping me in the moment. Uh, who was it who said how many Supreme Court justices should be women? Uh, I think it was RBG. Was it RBG? Okay. I was thinking that might be it. How many will you be satisfied with uh, uh, sitting on the bench? And she said nine, because it's historically been nine men. Um, that feels appropriate as a sort of um, reprisal, right? Given what's, what, what's come before. Uh, it feels like it shouldn't have to be justified in and of itself. Um, but it it is positioned as this sort of adversarial, like, well, we'll make them all women now. And that's a conscious decision. Um, I think in this specific instance, the casting direction was probably grab some people from Saturday Night Live. Because that's what we did last time. Yeah. Kristen Wiig and Kate McCannon are, you know, were, were really big megastars from that platform. Uh, and they thought, let's just do it again. But you know, remix it and gender swap some roles and we'll see what we end up with. Uh, I will say that the main antagonist in this story reads as like a 4 channer you know, deep state type of like creepazoid misogynist guy. Um, they will, um, you know, we may get into more detail on, on his characterization or lack thereof, but like he, the, the broad strokes of, of this, this character are, and his, machinations off feels like what they had in mind was this like oh we'll strike down this ideology with a you know a group of strong women with cool ghostbusters flavored 007 gadgets right mm -hmm. so for good or ill i think that was that was the mission statement was just let's just saturday night live let's just grab some of those people and do the ghostbusters thing again dave so what do you think yeah i think that um looking at it in that perspective, like it, it's set out to have a, a specific, not only a cultural touchstone, but, um, having this feminist drive and, and putting that in, uh, up front. And I don't think that anyone was expecting the full backlash it was getting prior to release, but as as Greg was mentioning, it's not like the. It's a case of people taking umbrage with something and then not actually watching it or engaging with it. 
because they're they're there's it's On generating the internet? you're crazy i know <laughs> it's it's generating vitriol off of um like press releases and trailers the end product you get isn't representational of that like it's not deserving of like really any of that and the movie is it's fine. It's not the greatest Ghostbusters movie to grace the screen, but it was fun. Um, yeah, it's actually funny they said that, Dave, because it's like, if I was to describe the movie itself, I, it, itself, the word fine comes to mind for me exactly, too. Because it's like, it's just, it's a perfectly serviceable movie. I mean, it's like, the acting was good. There were some nice fight scenes. Um, you know, this, the, the humor kind of worked in cases the slapstick kind of humor of it did kind of it, it's like it felt like it was trying too hard i think in many places for humor but yeah. there were some jokes that landed pretty good um the the the, the, the overall plot was fine i mean like the, the bad guy for what for like what he is it's like i understand what they're going for here at that but they really didn't they really didn't they really didn't focus on focus on focus on that too much but they kind of wish they had um but the movie, the movie itself was just fine for what it is. I actually, I actually, I actually think this is probably the weakest of four Ghostbusters movies to me. But having said that, I don't think the, um, you know, having said that, I don't think any of the movies are, are necessarily necessarily terrible. They're just like, they're just like, this one's just like mess. Like you watch it, it's like okay, it's fine, and, and like you go on with your life. Um, it certainly, um, it, it, it um, certainly didn't have the opinion power that say the Ghostbusters one or Afterlife certainly had. No, and I I would venture to say that with the with this particular cast, um, the the ghost the core Ghostbusters themselves, their their performance is fine. It was enjoyable, but I think that Kevin's character and um, is it Pat? Yes, Patty. Those two, like, they just chewed scenery and stole the scene every time. So the more they were on the screen, the less you, like, were paying attention to whatever was probably supposed to be going on. Uh, And that's that's only, like, just testament to their, you know, their acting is, is... Everyone did a really good job, but theirs was... Their characters were so well written for what they were that it it ended up making everything else kind of like just ho hum like that was okay <laughs> like let's just bring patty back let's, let's i know just... <laughs> i i really just wish that we we could just have more patty i i could give or take kevin but patty i was all about patty yeah so. kevin was real dumb i mean <laughs> well and the the thing is is that um all of that i believe chris hemsworth was supposed to completely improv that and he was super nervous about it because he is not an improv actor by any stretch of the imagination he's usually a scripted person and he was going to be working with all of these ladies who are well known and talented and famous for being very good with improv so he had to come up with stuff himself and deal with all of that and just kind of work with it in the moment and so that's the fun part for me is knowing that and watching the movie and seeing everybody interact and knowing that they were just you know doing that off the cuff uh that's the fun of that in my opinion well and not knowing what he's gonna do so their reactions of them just being flabbergasted is like yeah they just that was just (laughs) them going like what (laughs) what did he say that so uh as far as characters go, I think that though they just stood out so much more uh, than than the rest of the core cast that it makes 
the rest of the, the, the Ghostbusters themselves like less memorable. I don't think that that's that's not any of the other actresses. Like it's not their fault. Like they they just didn't have as fun of catchy lines and things. Uh, can you know consistently? Can but, I just say um, that him refusing to answer the phone was extremely delightful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're working. As a working professional, I, I really enjoy that energy a lot. <laughs> and that he put the phone in the fish tank. That was very good. Yeah, he just was done with it. I, I've done call center stuff and I'm like, yeah, this is great. <laughs> that would be that would be great. Great way to just not have to do that. Yeah, so um definitely uh it's good to hear about like the passing of several scenes on the Bechdel test. Um because I was, you know, thinking about that sort of, but like, I think for me, it just, it chafed against a lot of my just opinion of it for it to have as many sexist, because it, it, the sexist comments kind of fly, they flow like the wine, you know, like they just they're kept everywhere. Coming, it like, and okay. it's just like, and nobody's saying anything about it. They're just letting that hang in the air i don't know what to think about this and and that just kind of like rubbed me wrong enough but the movie itself is very fun it is a well-paced movie um definitely patty and kevin were standouts the 4chan villain uh, rowan was his name um like he was something i've i've definitely known some people like that guy i i've and not like by choice like come across them and then unfortunately have some dealings with you know uh definitely had that before so what do you think about rowan dave oh uh he not a terribly interesting villain he's un, like you can understand why he's doing what he's doing but it's it's always a step too far and also, where was he getting the money for any of the? Th- it just—he's built a giant he's a um, bellhop, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. he's uh, uh, he bellhop and maybe maintenance, like yeah, maintenance, like janitor. Yeah, you don't get paid. I mean, it's it's New York, yeah, but <laughs> still, he you know, it it felt like I if they were ha- to. I think there was plans for an animated series or, or a sequel, which didn't come to fruition. But uh, if they were to do that and continue the mythos, as in um, the, the the original Ghostbusters, where Gozer is just the main bad and they're the main antagonist through like a through line of all of it through the games, through the, the movies. Um, but given more background of like what he was doing. And what's this other dimension? And how you know he 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 had a lot of interesting like there's books on all the ley lines and and fun like little artifact things that would be more like I would like to see more of that. Like the 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 movie did well when it's showcasing like what the ghosts could come from, but then it, it didn't like have a, a very big payoff for it though. Like, it felt like it's just, oh, we just, here's the thing, and now now it's the end of the movie. There's a ghost coming from everywhere, okay. Which is what happens in the first Ghostbusters, but it, it, it felt more organic, like that's just kind of what's going to happen. This one just was, 
that part was boring. I don't know. <laughs> I, I didn't. That wasn't as exciting as I thought it could be. Aside from when uh, I think the opening scene and then uh, uh, Patty's introduction, where there's a like the 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 ghosts down in the transit tunnels, like that. That's good. But yeah, as a as like a villain, he's kind of boring. Not super memorable for me. Um, what I do remember about this movie was just how off the hook they go and how liberal they go with the idea of a ghost. Like they start with here is a ghost of a person, and here's some other things that are ghosts of people, and then it's like haunted balloons from the Macy's Day Parade because reasons, and that they're just going to be haunted, and we're not going to tell you how that even happened. And then also, like, the dragon that's in the middle of, like, a rock concert that just, you know, everybody thinks it's part of the concert because it's metal. And, you know, there's this dragon, they're like, oh, it's a hologram or whatever. And it's like, okay, like, how do you, you you know, get that that's a ghost? Where does that come from? Exactly. Yeah. And things like that where it's like, okay, this is, like, off the rails more than the other movies, like, you know, this movie is pretty off the rails and takes a lot of liberties with what's a ghost. You're just like, yeah, everything yep. got possessed. Although it did have, like, all of the Revolutionary War people, and that was a pretty cool scene when they, they had the Revolutionary War people charging them. That was neat. And the, the well, the special effects were really good. Like, mm-hmm. the, the, yeah. the actual, the ghost, the, all of the Ghostbuster Q inventions like were fun and none of they, they each what i did like is if they're they follow the checkoff's gun premise where if they show off a thing they're going to use it but you're still going like how would they even why is that a, a, a device they oh okay yep that's how that worked or mm-hmm. or didn't <laughs> mm-hmm. so john other thoughts about the 4chan guy? <laughs> um, well, I think it's it's very. I, I'm just I'm I'm hung up on the kind of uh, financial disparity between his occupation and he has an evil laboratory. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know many maintenance dudes who rock evil laboratories or. Uh, well, uh, according to the Ghostbusters wiki, he got a doctorate from mit did he okay so he is doctor fully certified okay rowan nor he's got the he's got the the bona fides yes (laughs) Um, and presumably the tens of thousands of dollars of debt that go along well yeah oh that's what it is (laughs) he's trying to get out of paying student loans of course (laughs) that's why you explode and swallow new york out of mirrors or something um, his evil plan also involves him dying, so he's either very nefarious or good at improvising on the fly of like, well, I'll die and also become king of ghosts. That's what I'll do. <laughs> and if dead, no student loans. It's still no student loans. Can't collect. So yeah, um, I don't know. He's because uh, like what we had. Uh, we had the EPA guy who was, he, we had government bureaucrats obstructing us. And then we had Vigo the Carpathian, who was definitely not Vlad the Impaler, through, by way of uh, 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 Peter McNichol. What was his character's name? I can't remember. Uh, oh, anyway, we, uh, 
man, what what was his name? Janos. Janos, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we have, <laughs> by way by way of of human antagonists, we we just sort of have bumbling idiots and and uh, you know uh, malefactors who are who are uh, inconvenient, if nothing else. But like this guy is mustache twirling villain level. Uh, and I don't know that his plan makes a whole lot of sense other than now we've realized he's trying to get out of paying student loan debt, of course. Yeah, <laughs> it all makes sense. Now, I've changed my mind. 2016 Oscar goes to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I would think the tone of it was also, it feels yeah. very Scooby Doo or like, yeah. Uh, sure. um, yeah. Well, Mystery the tone was kind of Incorporated. All over the place in, in general, because it starts out like you, you point out the strong starting scene. Uh, with that fellow from the office, the gangly guy, I can't remember his name, uh, but he's like giving this tour of this haunted house that, you know, ooh, they have some stuff rigged up to make it look haunted. Uh, and lo and behold, there actually is a ghost in there. And it it's kind of horrifying what happens to him. Uh, that would be Garfield <laughs> chiming in for his opinion on the podcast. Yay! He's, Garfield was, was Garfield. He's the real... Garfield was the real monster all along, actually. <laughs> um, yes, indeed. But yeah, so, uh, you know, the, the tone being like kind of cartoonish or like spy movie, like you say, with the gadgets later. Um, and then this like horror scene in the beginning and back and forth. You know, there's like a flasher ghost. Uh, there's all kinds of weird doodads and monsters. Like um, it, it kind of doesn't know what what it's trying to do throughout. Right to be consistent yes. with itself. Yeah. Well, and again, I feel like that is just a product of having like 17 different people working on the script and it being 100%. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I don't know. I think, I think that's pretty much everything that I've got to say about that one. How about, did Desiree, yeah, did yeah, you, you guys, any... yeah, you guys summarized all that a lot better than I could <laughs> it's like it's like yeah the movie the movie had a lot of good ideas and concepts it just kind of like flew around too many directions and the directions didn't really like establish upon anything solidly I don't think but having, having said that the movie did the, having said that the movie did, the movie does not deserve the hate that uh, that it got like not by a long shot yeah like it I did I, I, hmm? this is Slimer <laughs> The Pac-Man, yeah. the Mrs. Pac-Man version of Slimer, which is Slimer but Lady. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. That was a fun part of the movie. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I don't know. I feel like this movie it could have been a successful movie if it had just had like a unified front to it, but it didn't, and it's so it falls short and ends up being okay but with a really bad trailer that that's, I think the trailer did more damage than anything else to it. Honestly, because, you know, I saw the trailer back in 2016 and I'm like, I don't care that they're ladies, but that looks terrible. Just looking at the trailer, just like that. If that's what the movie's like, I don't want to watch it, you know? And I didn't watch it until this year. So. You yeah. Know. We all watched it the first time. Uh, so that was, that was interesting. Yeah, and this movie does the the thing that so many films have have been doing over the last twenty years, uh, is trying to start up a franchise in the first movie, 
uh, they they get to the end of it, and um, uh, P- Patty hears Zool um, on the um, like the EVP recording. So it's it's hearkening to things. If you're going, you're they're rebooting the first Ghostbusters, but as an origin story, more like it's it's telling the tale like of them like when they formed a team and setting up like okay here's the group they're gonna go do adventures now and when you bank on that it it's gonna fall flat because unless you already have like unless you're filming concurrently like lord of the rings where you're like we're making all the three movies at the same time uh you kind of end up writing yourself into a corner when there's no more sequels. It just ends. You're like, well, that didn't even have a compelling antagonist. And now you're setting up stuff that's just never going to show up. So there's a sense of, especially watching it later and just feeling let down. Like, well, even if you do like these, there's some comics, I guess, in a novelization. There's, there's a few other side media that you could, uh, revisit you know the this particular group of ghostbusters having adventures but aside from that the movie itself just kind of feels it was fun but now it falls flat because it's trying to set up a thing that's never going to happen desk do you have any final thoughts about answer the call so my um another kind of disappointment for me was the fact that you know in the the original Ghostbusters, we had Ernie Hudson as Winston being the only black Ghostbuster and also the only one without a doctoral degree or some form of higher education. And that was a pattern that was repeated with Patty in the 2016 movie. And, you know, I work in higher education, so, you know, I, I know it is actually more diverse than that, not as much as it should be of course but so that was just kind of disappointing to me to see oh we're going to make it feminist by being all women okay well you completely missed the point that's not what feminine feminism is but then also missed an opportunity for that intersectionality piece and you also made the black ghostbuster be the one who just works a blue collar job yeah Um, that was that actually, yeah, that, that was actually something when we were first watching the movie right afterwards, I said that pretty quick. Uh, I forgot to mention it earlier during the podcast. So thank you for bringing that up because that was something, even Winston, it's not in the movies, but in the novelization, you find out that he's a military guy who does a lot of high profile jobs and stuff like that, like high profile military missions and things. So although he doesn't have a doctorate, he does have like a high tier, you know, credential under his belt as well. So he's, you know, definitely qualified, if you will, for doing what he's doing with the Ghostbusters and overqualified for it. So the thing with Patty, Patty is just a metro worker who just rolls up on the situation. And they're just what what they were trying to do with Patty was probably to get the, you know, quote unquote, streetwise black woman up in there, you know, to have that kind of flavor. But like, they missed the like they missed a whole opportunity there. if, If that was and that's another part of it, too, like with the 
um, if it was even attempting to be feminist, it, it really missed the mark on a lot of different um, approaches, different areas of, of things they could have done to treat that better. But we can move on and kind of talk about uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife now, which that one is, in my opinion, probably my favorite Ghostbusters movie. Um, it mm. requires that you have seen at least the first one, more or less, so you understand who the characters are and what's going on. But uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife, to me, felt a lot more solid. It had, um, I think it had a couple of different people writing the script, but when they did the write and the rewrite of it, it was like solidly well done. It had input, input by Dan Aykroyd and, you know, Ivan Reitman's son, yeah, worked Jason. on worked on the directing for this and so and then also the roles of the original ghostbusters were all reprised harold ramus had passed away but his character egon ends up being basically the main character uh in the main for us the, of the entire storyline and he appears in ghost form he just doesn't talk they've got his likeness as a ghost as well so um Afterlife is a very different kind of directing style as well, uh, because of course, with 40 years between the original Ghostbusters and when they released this movie, they cannot hit the same pacing and do like 80s directing style. It's just not going to happen. Um, the Afterlife movie is pretty family focused and it also kind of talks about different repercussions and, and modernizations of, of some elements. Um, but two, it's really um, kind of paced more like a drama. They've got some action scenes in it, but it's not nearly super, you know, as action packed as say answer the call. And it also wasn't as laugh out loud funny. There are some funny scenes, but by and large, it's more a uh, kind of like suspense drama kind of feeling. Yeah. So the yeah the the tone on this one backed off um, on a lot of the comedy that had um, popped up mostly in uh, like Ghostbusters Two. Felt like it it was kind of some spooky bits, but. I think we all agreed that that one had more, they were trying to do more drama and even then it kind of like missed the boat on that. Like it could have done a little bit more character building. Uh, but we get, we get what that was, what the Ghostbusters franchise was kind of missing um, in this, uh, this afterlife. And it, um, for a movie that's, it's, it's just at the two hour mark. Uh, I think first time I watched it, it felt like it was a longer movie, but not that it was slow. It was, it was paced just fine, but it felt like there's more, more things going on. Uh, but then when you watch it uh, like a second time, uh, it, it's a little bit more compressed. So it doesn't feel quite as long. It feels like a 90 minute movie. Yeah, I had that same experience. I think you and I were the only ones who watched it twice. Uh, Greg, John, and Desiree, all of you, I believe, watched it for the first time um, for the show? Yes, yeah. that's Correct. right. 
Gotcha. So, um, yeah, Dave and I had the um, added bonus of having seen it a couple of times. So we got that initial watch in the theater, and then we also watched it again at home and then had like a little bit of a different experience with it. Part of that is probably also because we knew what to expect insofar as the pacing and things like that. And we were able to take some time to kind of notice some smaller details that maybe we didn't catch on the first go. So I'll go ahead and turn it over to Greg. Tell me what you thought about Afterlife, just like overall impressions of the movie and everything in its place in the series. Well, I really didn't know what to expect of this movie going into it because I heard because I heard different things about it. A lot of people, I think, um, I think who enjoyed it, who enjoyed the original Ghostbusters, were like, were like, were like, kind of lukewarm on it for, for one reason or another. Like, you know, and the last movie didn't do it very well, or and like it's all going to be kids, you know, that kind of stuff. So, like, like so my mom, for for example, had that opinion very strongly, and she strongly, and she really loved the first two movies. So, I guess maybe their, I guess maybe their way of thinking kind of rubbed off me a little bit, which is why I didn't go see it when it was on the theaters. Also, the, also this movie got delayed big time, which we'll talk about here later on, I'm sure. But anyway. Uh, but anyway, when I did finally see it, I'm like, I'm like, it's kind of, I'm like, it, it, it's one of the movies I wish I hadn't waited to see because I actually enjoyed it a lot. Um, I respect Jaw for saying this is their favorite Ghostbusters movie. I would not go quite that far. The original movie to me is still my favorite, but this movie would be number two for me as far as uh, um, as far as the listing goes. It's like everything that didn't work in the last movie worked worked so well this time around. I thought there really there really is only there really is only a few things I could nitpick or complain about as far as the movie goes. It's like it's like everything everything just flowed together very well. Like you know the the characters were great. Uh, they were all they you know they you know, you know each character had their own role a role and they were important in some way. Which some of the movies didn't do a very good job balancing that, but this movie, I thought everybody everybody was there for the right amount of screen time and, and screen time of like all had their important things to do, and they all felt important. And like John mentioned before, it really wasn't emphasized that you know like you know like Phoebe's, as well like Phoebe's a, a girl or a kid or whatnot. It's like it's like they just simply focused upon the characters and that was it. Um, you know the plot uh, the plot was pretty solid. I really love the idea of blending in old stuff with the new stuff here of this, and like you know, getting getting all the original Ghostbusters to come back to come back to the movie toward the end was also great. It definitely is a nostalgia trip like that reason. The movie I think works very well both for like people who love the franchise and also people who are brand new to it, uh, because the bit, because of all that coming together, I thought with the different characters and the ideas and whatnot, and you know the fact they tied in the old movies. So well, for example, like watching YouTube clips about the actual scene in New York in 1984 was great. For example, and it, like going back to that past or like in the past or whatnot. And it's like it's like the main characters being the main characters being kids was not a detrimental <laughs> movie as it is sometimes in some cases, but I think it was very positive. Um, you know, and the acting was all very good. Special effects were nice. It was just you know it was really. Well, um, yeah, like Dave said, it, it, the movie, the movie, the movie felt shorter than it actually was. It was a very like you know like fun romp just all the way through. Just really, probably a better movie than it deserved. The, um, you know that it had the right to be. I thought maybe it's like if you're not really a fan of the original Ghostbusters movie, I uh, I, I don't think you um I don't think you got to get as much out of it. Obviously, but um, for anybody who has enjoyed the original movies, it, it really was a very like you know like welcome like welcome treat and very well done and. Um, 
And I really would love to see like more movies, more movies uh, uh, to come based upon this formula. They haven't announced anything yet, but you know, fingers crossing that maybe they are going to do another movie at some point soon. Um, some of the same characters and/or ideas, hopefully. Yeah, I definitely feel that. Okay, because you mentioned your mom not really digging it. Well, I really feel that this movie in particular is not really in the pocket for anybody who's older who you know was like already an adult when the original movies came out because a lot of stuff that's referenced in this movie is stuff that calls to mind you know like a more like a younger audience a um you know like more modern issues that maybe older folks don't have any experience with you know like they're not going to be people who listen to podcasts, for example. So podcast character has no relevance to them whatsoever. And like just having, you know, Paul Rudd and all of that other stuff, like they're not going to know who that is. They're not going to get why that's funny. They're not going to understand like the Ryan Reynolds humor value of like Paul Rudd, you know, <laughs> but like the, you know, they're not going to get some of, some of that stuff. And they're not going to understand the characters of the kids very well, you know, because that's like far, far removed. Like their kids have already grown up and moved out of the house a long, long, long time ago. So, you know, like they they wouldn't uh, understand because, you know, like the first the first movies came out 40 years ago ish. So, you know, like that's a quite a long time. I feel like this movie is more geared towards a brand new audience but then also the people who were little kids when the ghostbusters original movies came out because the people who were little kids at that time can identify with the paul rudd character and also with the mom character um so you know like there's that where they identify with that but then they also see these younger kids you know taking into uh, their hands, all of this stuff that they kind of inherit, including problems and stuff, which that's like a real issue for, you know, younger folks having to inherit the problems left over by, you know, their parents and grandparents and so forth. So, you know, um, in that way, it's like really relatable, but for a younger audience, I feel. So, uh, John and Desiree, what do you guys think? Um... Let's see. So it didn't land super well for me in terms of them not really having a great explanation for Egon just being absent from his family. And, oh, I'm going to go do the Ghostbuster thing. There wasn't really any kind of justification that met my expectations for you know, still being able to see him as a sympathetic character, someone who, you know, would get married and have kids and then just completely abandon them to work on this thing. Um, even if it was for the betterment of mankind, you know, it's well, holding hell at bay. Sure, but even <laughs> so, even that, like, so they're ghosts and they're real, yeah. and we proved it almost forty years ago, and, and then, then everybody forgot about it. You just forgot. Yeah. Not that well, it, it didn't come up again till now. Yeah. yeah, and the thing is, is that's that's something definitely that hit me as well. Is like, you know, when Ray is so upset and like, oh, that asshole. I hope he rots in hell while well, he's dead now. You know that kind of thing. And it's like, you know, 
I don't know that Ray Stance would be upset at Egon if Egon said, there's a thing and it's happening. We've got to go, guys. Like, if, you know, it's it's that trope of, why didn't you just talk to people? <laughs> that would just fix the problem. Yeah. If you just talk to people, talk to your wife and tell her what's going on with the gates of hell opening up. I'm pretty yeah, sure if, if she married anyone... a Ghostbuster that she would be okay with, like, moving with you and helping with whatever needs to be done to save the universe or whatever. And, like, if you need to take all of the equipment and go, you know, then why don't you tell Ray, you know? <laughs> Like that's well, that's yeah, it. and I think you even said in the moment when we were discussing this post watch, like if anyone was going to believe him about that, it would be of the original Ghostbusters. It would be Ray, yeah, specifically, because they were kind of you know Bill Murray was always kind of off to the side. Oh, whatever you two eggheads come up with, I'll just <laughs> I'll just sarcastically make comments about it and then get slimed while yeah. you two do the actual work. <laughs> mm hmm. Mm hmm. So, yeah, that was definitely something that came up. So, I'm sorry for interrupting you, Desiree. You were continuing. Uh, no, I mean, that's that was definitely my biggest issue with it. it was not, they did a lot of character work, but not enough to justify all of that. Um, and then, I'm sure it felt nostalgic for people who watched Ghostbusters in the 80s and you know, liked that original movie a lot. So Gozer and Zool and the Keymaster and all of yep. that clicked all of those serotonin, like, yes, that's something I remember. Because growing up with Ghostbusters wasn't so much my thing and watched all the other movies, I was like, this isn't original. This is the same things. Yep. <laughs> you know, I wanted someone well, new and exciting and get creative with it. So my thing in particular was... Uh, I did like the film, but um, a lot of the, you know, the the cute little Stay Puft uh, Marshmallow murderers. Oh, I did like the little bag <laughs> of marshmallow men. They, oh, yeah. they, that scene was great, but yes. the fact that they were that they were there, uh, and Paul Rudd was there, and the Stranger Things kid was there, like <laughs> it, it very much seemed like a film designed by committee, desperate to uh, wipe away the previous film. Yeah. <laughs> like, just be like, what do you like? We will give it to you. Please tell us what you like. Just focus group after focus. Group, you know? I'm I'm pretty sure that played a part in the making of this movie for sure. And I definitely agree with you as well, Desiree. That like when I saw that it's like Gozer again. When you already had Gozer in the video game and in the first movie, and it's like God, not more. Go I'm done with Gozer. I thought we were done with Gozer. Wasn't there, but then again, at the same time, it's kind of like unfinished business for Egon, which is kind of the whole, like unfinished business for all of the Ghostbusters, really. Um, and that's why he had to go is because there was a giant ancient Sumerian god that, you know, he had to go fight because apparently the rest of the Ghostbusters just did not care or something. I don't know what happened. Yeah, like the the foundational element of like, what caused this change in the first place? Now, I understand they're trying to get Egon gone and not have to do a scene showing anything because Harold Ramis had passed away, so they couldn't do any kind of backstory on that, but they could have come up with some kind of more convincing reason or something, you know, than what well, they Especially now that we've set the precedent of horrifying mannequin uh cgi mannequin luke skywalker not mark hamill you know that, that 
that has been, you know, now we can just direct the dead and puppet them as we please. Oh, they already did that previous the previous moves anyways. Uh, uh, Hunger sure. Games did that like many, many years ago. So, but, uh, John, weren't you telling me off mic that the book version of this actually did expand upon, uh, expand upon that like more as to why Egan kind of went off the deep end? Uh, there wasn't a novel for the Afterlife movie. So okay, I'm sorry. I, I must got yeah, I must got yeah, I, yeah. I must got that confused with something else. Yeah, I don't know. We did watch a bunch of behind the scenes stuff and interviews and things, just as um, some kind of research for the show. But I don't believe anything explained. If, if I had heard anything explaining what was going on with Egon and why he decided to just run off like that. I would have retained that information because that's kind of like important information to make the story square for me 100%. So I think a lot of it was the extra character building in the Ghostbusters 1 and 2 novelizations that got a lot more into uh, each of the Ghostbusters, like their personalities, their backgrounds, how Egon himself is perceived um not just by his friends or i guess not just by like academia but by his friends he's a weirder guy than like gets portrayed in the movies like the there's more going on with him uh behind the scenes that's still canon ghostbusters eon and I think they're they're pulling a lot of that. They're pulling. Um, I, I'm trying to remember. I know it's in. I think it's an novelization in Ghostbusters Two, and maybe in the game where uh, there was another injunction, not just the general um, uh, one done by the the New York judge that had got their proton packs banned. They they like weren't able to Ghostbust anywhere, like. They something happened where there was a regulate or like their their proton packs or something was like regulated, and they weren't able to use them, and so that put them out of business. And each of them had to go their own way, which is, I think, part and parcel of why uh, they had drifted apart. They were drifting apart in in between one and two. They kind of came back together for a little bit, uh, and then as far as I'm aware, in canon after that, they they just went their own ways. Which is part and of the animosity, life, like the actors too. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you take it from that angle, then it it makes a little bit more sense. Like you know, Egon might have up and left and not talked to anybody, but then that's they weren't really talking to each other anyway. So you know, he and you know they probably weren't on good terms anyhow, or on strained terms to begin with. Yeah, and, I th- and some of that has to do with his his work ethic and his morals. I mean, you see it um, in Ghostbusters too when they're he's running experiments and he's like, "Take away the puppy!" Like you're turning. Where they're, they're doing like kind of unethical <laughs> experiments. Yeah, I was gonna say that's like bordering Egon's. You know, he's like learn how to human. Like he's Lieutenant Commander Data in some ways, but he's also like not like just skirting that line of like nazi scientist mm, yeah there, yeah there's questionable which, stuff that he's <laughs> that he's probably doing which, which is why i was okay with how they treated him in this movie you know i agree with what desiree said that i kind of wish there was more explanation for it but it's also like 
I can see knowing what I know about him. I can see him going up the deep end like that, and just and just be like, okay, I, okay, I, I, okay, I got to do this on my own. Nobody will believe me. Yada yada yada. So I was okay with that. I agree, it's a weak point in the movie, but it didn't bother me as much um, as um, you know, as it did if like other people, for example. So so um, let me just point of order. I I don't know that it was the estrangement with the other Ghostbusters that Desiree was taking uh, uh, umbrage with necessarily so much as the with her. With his family, his, his own family, family right? Yeah. Well, Is sure. that right? I mean, I I didn't read him as a character that would have ever taken interest in a romantic relationship or getting married. So the idea of... Possibly ace. Yeah, possibly asexual and, you know, having this family felt a little shoehorned in of oh well we want to uh, carry on egon's character which is great his legacy yeah. and we want the legacy so how are we going to do that well let's go with the stereotypical human got <laughs> together made more humans like why readers exactly yeah. why couldn't it be a niece or a nephew or someone i know i yeah yeah. yeah, I was going to say it could have easily been a niece or a nephew or something like that. It really didn't have to be. But I think part of it is because for Harold Brumis' daughter, Violet, especially, um, because she was very involved with all the, the Ghostbusters folks and, and Ghostbusters fandom and things like that, um, after his passing and everything, I think they kind of did it as a part, partially for a love letter to actual Harold Ramis, who was a very good dad, apparently. Yeah. Um, and who you know was just that kind of a guy because I, I feel like Egon the way that they show him as you know the granddad ghost is not Egon at all that is not Egon that is Harold Ramis that is Harold Ramis for 100%. sure yeah and it's it's his likeness but it's also his likeness like that would be him that's not Egon the character um so, yeah, but, like, uh, in one of the novelizations, there was a part where um, Janine was hitting on him and stuff, but, like, you get to see a little bit in Egon's head, and he's like, I don't even understand this whole thing about, you know, like, he's he's looking at that concept of possibly getting together with her as mostly an experiment, just, like, as an experiment to see what happens and stuff. Like, he's not interested in actually having a romance. No, he really just loves mold and fungus like yeah. <laughs> like he, he he goes on about that and he, he, he it's doing like a, a first per, you know the, the yeah first person narrative and it's um it's egon's point of view of like that that's a, a literal experiment like he's like oh this is what men and women are supposed to do in society i don't know what that is let's check it out but it, it, even that took like a long time like janine had to keep dropping like more and more overt hints until he even understood that's what she was doing mm -hmm. so I, I think it's those bits of characterization that fit in with him just piecing out it's like that doesn't that doesn't excuse it but you can understand that like that's not he probably was never in it for a family like at all yeah yeah, yeah. but and then again i think it's that mixed in with again just them wanting to write a love letter to harold ramus since he passed and wanted to honor him as much as possible so 
as much as they created this, you know, had this character do all this stuff, then they also had him be like super dad, super grandpa character. Yeah, ghost, in, ghost, in ghost dad, yeah. ghost grandpa. Maybe not ghost dad. I, I think that's been canceled. Yeah, that's absolutely been canceled. Um, but yeah, so the movie itself, uh, it's again a little lighter on ghosts than I had. I think wa- go, gone into it, going, oh yeah, there's gonna be something, some zany ghost. The the, the last few had really good special effects, and there, there's not. There's not a lot of ghosts for it being a Ghostbusters movie. No, there's the bitter. Muncher. Yeah, they've got the Muncher. They've got, which is like the Slimer analog that looks like a big fat caterpillar, basically. Yeah, it looked like the caterpillar from Bugs Life. Mm-hmm. And then, <laughs> like, the Minor Ghost, which is like a an ode to the taxi driver zombie guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, or minor zombie, I guess, is what he was. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know, like some other random stuff that showed up, and then of course the usual, the ghost or the demon dogs and goat, you know, gozer. So. Yeah, and. And the Stay Puft Marshmallow Men, that which were did just not like need Stay to be Puff. there. Ray's not there. I like know. They, <laughs> he would have. Gozer to the Destructor should have come up with a new form yeah. for this second attempt. Or I guess third, I don't know. Well, I like the, <laughs> red, the, the, the little Stay Puft dude's just read as like a, a side effect of the Keymaster materializing, yeah. right? Yeah, that's yeah. what I read like to yeah. too. But, you know, still, I mean, like, the fact that they are Stay Puft marshmallows. It was very, I don't know, I didn't, I, the scene itself was really good. Like, I love that weird gremlin vibe that's happening, but I was like, it just didn't need to see little mini stay puffs i don't know i don't know i like the mini stay puffs i like them better than i like the original they start stay killing him, each other they do like they put oh, them, yeah. they put one in the blender just and they're like thrilled they about it too they're happy like, yeah and like it's just like in gremlins where they you know when they shove one of the gremlins in the blender you know yeah. like that's a, that's actually definitely that is not unintentional there's, yeah there's that, no that's way that's not be... homage to like, yeah. gremlins uh, and and the the movie the the tone of it hits um i trying to think uh maybe 2009 or somewhere there was a movie super eight which this feels kind of like that yes i like super eight a lot that's a good movie yeah and, and then it does feel like the goonies or something you know it's, it's in the 80s yeah. kind of kids on adventure that have agency which was super important um, because we need yeah. to cycle around to like these kids and what what they're doing in as far as like they're not they have parental figures sort of present uh <laughs> but who end up just being possessed, possessed yeah. and not functional even though they're they're trying to do their best and then the kids are left to take care of all the problems pretty much by themselves mm-hmm. and they do so with like great pluck and determination and are just having a blast you could tell that the, these kids loved doing this movie like everyone loved doing this movie how I think. old is the guy the jason right and how old is he i don't know because um, i i really probably kind our of, age. well i really feel like you know, again, that that's just more testament to this movie being more geared towards the people who were kids. Yeah. 
44. Oh, 44. Okay, yeah, see? So he grew up watching stuff like the Goonies and the Gremlins and the Ghostbusters and whatever. So, like, you know, he's pulling from those same references and he's going to be, you know, wanting to get that whole feel. Not just, I, I like, I think maybe part of the reason I like this movie is also the fact that although it is directed in a modern style uh, and it has modern elements to it, it also is like homage to basically all of what every kid was watching in the eighties. <laughs> well, yeah. And that formula Dave was just talking about with like, you know, the kids, like the kids, like, you know, doing their own things and loving it. That's a very successful formula. That's been done numerous times in movies. I was okay with that because I'm like, you know, it's, you know, and you know, that formula usually works very well in a movie. So, you know, I was happy if, you know, like I was happy to have that included. Yeah. And it sounds like from his, um, uh, biography on like wikipedia that he he grew up on his father's movie sets like he was there he was there when his father was doing the editing process and all that stuff as like a little kid so that's more so than growing up watching that he was there doing it doing it yeah you know and i think that that shows just in his in his other films and in this um very very particularly But, um, so the kids, yeah, the kids. So we have, uh, is it Phoebe? Yeah, Phoebe podcast, Phoebe's brother. He doesn't get, <laughs> I don't know Phoebe's don't brother's know. name, I and then know. Lucky. Lucky is the girl Lucky, yeah. from the burger joint. I yeah. don't know I don't, what Stranger Things kid's name is. I don't remember his I name. Have no idea. They said it like once, and I probably. Think. Maybe it was. I just remember Finn. Tre- Trevor. Trevor. Okay. Trevor. Okay. We're not so, knocking on Trevor. He got to drive. Yeah, he was the driver. <laughs> he was the chauffeur for the whole thing. Yeah. You always have to have a dedicated getaway driver. That's it. That's it. <laughs> yep. So. Yeah. So so Phoebe is Egon two point Um, very cool. Like from the beginning, she's definitely like the ridiculously. This is not an actual kid. Super precocious. Yeah, super precocious, super, you know, intelligent. Rewiring all the circuitry in the rented apartment for reasons, you know, like just because she can, I don't know, you know. Yeah, and... You have to talk about your favorite podcast. And podcast is also there. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a, it's a, you know, this is a small town, Nowheresville, Oklahoma. And um, there is there is a child who has decided to start up a podcast, and he has an audience of one. And, and it's race and, dance. And it's race one, dance. Who is his one audience member? Yeah. yeah. So that's um, it's just a fun like little kind of tongue in cheek nod, uh, but that he's um, podcast is so earnest with what he's doing. And it's, he's still a goofball, but he's taking everything, like, seriously, but it's still, like, amusing to him. And that that puts him in a position, uh, I feel like his character is sort of the viewer stand-in. Like, you're, you're able to kind of get the story through his point of view uh, when he's with Phoebe. 
since she, he's not bringing any like a whole lot other to the table except for like pluck. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the assistant. Yes, he is the assistant. <laughs> he he they they get to do experiments and it's great. And then he also used the remote control trap. Yes, he did pilot the little trap because the the um, Ecto one has now been like super modified to have a little a gunner chair, a gunner chair, a little drone <laughs> trap. <is> awesome. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, and it's... then like a little remote control mini version the, that has a trap. The original version should have that. Yeah, for real. So. Yeah, it, it's it's things that like if this were if this were an eighties movie and these were marketed more as like this could be a toy version of this thing. Uh, who doesn't want like a, a Transformers crossover with like Ghostbusters? That's that's what that felt like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but I had a friend who had an actor one as a kid, and the actor one he had it was nowhere near as cool as the one that's in, it's by the ones used in this movie. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, yeah, I don't even remember. Trevor. Trevor. I was like Finn Wolfhard. <laughs> I I can't. He doesn't have another name. Uh, and then Trevor. He. He gets to be like there. So Trevor and Phoebe are close enough in age that it's 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 obnoxious without being like one. Uh, one is like the way older sibling or the way younger one. They're just they might as well have been like twins, but they're not. Mm, he's, yeah. he's you know he's a little older, but he he doesn't have uh. He doesn't really get an arc. He doesn't get to do much in the film at all. He's just the awkward kid He's, who just yeah. came to town, who's trying to fit in, who's lying about his age to go work with the girl that he wants to get with. And he it, just, he doesn't have his license yet. He's trying to get that. And he ends no. up being the driver because he just, <laughs> he's also like the family mechanic. You know? Yeah, it seems like he should have been in a different movie. It's it's yeah, he's just weird. Like, he's, he's really like it's kind of in the background for being like the the older kid. You kind of really figured that the older kid would be the one that would be you know the main character, really. But no, yeah, and, it was a nice change of pace. Yeah, I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't really surprised that he was willing to that he was so willing to agree with what was going on with Phoebe because of well, because it's like he you know to his credit he accepted what was happening because like. Because most of the kids would have been like, what the heck are you talking about? Like, you're nuts. Uh, you know, especially if they're younger siblings. So the fact that he actually was willing to go along with it and help was impressive. I think it's because when he was trying to fix the car, um, Egon's ghost was also, like, helping to fix it. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Like, the, yeah. He, he's witnessing strange things. And he saw the giant, uh, terrible thing going on at the mine. That's not normal. Yeah, he saw, and then of course when he starts driving Phoebe, and then he sees the muncher. Yeah, he's just yeah. He's no, he's 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 now just along for the ride or the drive. Yeah, he's along for the drive for sure. <laughs> and then like you know, it ends up being a team of four because you've got Podcast and Phoebe who are the main two. So that would be like your Egon and your Ray, more or less. Yeah. And then you've got Trevor, who is not witty. <laughs> and he's not like you know he's not even Winston, and then you've got Lucky, who happens to be like the the token black lady, you know, who is the girl that Trevor is interested in, and she doesn't really play a part she until the very end. Get of the to movie. do she anything. She kind of like appears in the movie. She at got the to very be possessed. End. Well, at the very end of the movie, <laughs> she pulls out a proton pack, but that's at the very end of the movie. Yeah. 
So, you know, she she didn't really get too much of a role either. She's just kind of there witnessing some of the stuff that happens and laughing at Trevor being ridiculous. Yeah. And that's like Well, the everyone only time everyone gets a proton pack at the end. Yeah, <laughs> everybody does. So, they should have been little steak puff proton packs. <laughs> I mean, they were like all they up in it. Really? God. Yeah. <laughs> well, didn't podcast try to eat the marshmallow goop? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I think he did. <laughs> there was a there was a pretty funny battle with him toward the end. It was like you know trying to fight the fight the mini marshmallow pups who were trying to like the damn proton pack. It's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was good. They 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 had again just enough comedy to like lighten it up because it's a, it's a fairly serious movie movie there's yeah. like high the end of the world stakes uh the the movie opens up and it feels i think out of any of the ghostbusters movie the opening for this was like this is a horror movie yeah and then it it's kind of swerved from that but um i don't think that was to its detriment it was didn't need to be but i also would have watched that movie yeah for real like the first few minutes of this when it, it's showing a flashback to Egon, the crazy dirt farmer, you know, trying to trap the the gozer or the dogs, or I think it's the dogs, right? Uh, yeah, he's trying to get the dogs because he needs them to keep yeah. uh, gozer from appearing. Yeah, so he's trying to trap them, but he ends up passing away in the process of all that. But, like, because they're trying to have Egon's character do stuff without actually having Harold Ramis there to do it, they have him blocked out and black, you know, blacked out to where you can't see his face for the entire thing. So it ends up being really, really creepy. And it's just the way it's shot. It's very tense and, and dark and, and all of that mess. And then they kind of back off of that, but I would have absolutely watched that movie too. <laughs> mm. Yeah. It's like insidious, but now it's with actual Ghostbusters. Yeah, so the thing about trying to give Lucky and Trevor additional character is that they don't have enough room in the movie to both try to explain what's going on with Egon slash all the Ghostbusters and Phoebe in podcast and let them have their time to develop and also give the other two a bunch of time to develop. They just don't have enough room in the movie to do all of that, I don't feel. Not with the pacing they've got in the direction that they're going in, at least. Yeah, that that that's a, a valid point. And I I don't think it's to the detriment. Like it, it worked with how they did it. Um I would like to see now this I wouldn't mind seeing a sequel to, uh, and have the kids like now go on ghostbusting adventures. Like mm-hmm. I would I, I think it's a good group of uh it's a good group of actors and they, the characters themselves each have, they're they're more identifiable. Like there's more character traits going on than you have with the original Ghostbusters. Like the yeah, they're like kind of archetypal, but this was more personality. I felt, um, but there's also a lot more freedom. You can just do whatever now. You've I, they've closed the chapter on Gozer, like. Finally, <laughs> there's a lot of there's a whole animated series of like Ghost of the Week, uh, Ghostbuster stuff to go through that they could pull from <laughs> if they didn't want to do something new. Yeah, for sure. And talking about characterization, um, I like the fact that Phoebe was just like, you know, what was it that she said where she's just like, 
I do such and such when I'm excited, where I'm overstimulated or something. What was it that she... Tells bad jokes? No. <clears throat> no. She tells bad jokes all the time. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, with about the babbling stuff? Like during the dinner... But you're talking about the scene during the dinner date, right? No. Um, Phoebe herself was talking about, like, when she's overstimulated, she's just... I don't know. If, like, it's something about how she buckles down and, like, you know, gets oh, okay. to oh, something. Yeah, yeah. When she gets yeah. overstimulated, her reaction is to do whatever. And that thing is just, like, now yeah. it's going to bother me because I don't know. <laughs> just have to watch the movie again. But... Um, yeah, so, yeah, I think with that in mind, with how these characters are, uh, John and Desiree, what 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 did you guys think about them versus uh, their, I mean, Paul was not their parent, in particular as a teacher, but how the adults um, were kind of dealing with the situation? Sure. Uh, so I think that um, Paul Rudd is doing his Paul Rudd thing. Uh, and I think that, um, you know, uh, I made kind of a disparaging comment earlier about how it was designed by committee. You know, I think that they, they needed that character both to give Phoebe, um, both to recognize the precociousness of Phoebe and engage with her on the appropriate level. Um, he gets super excited when she realizes that he's doing, you know, geological mappings and so forth and actually engages with him and wants to talk to him about that. Um, and he also, I, th I think you're, you're right. Uh, his character serves as the, um, uh, the avenue through which people our age introduce a younger generation to what actually happened in 1984. Um, he's not a very good guardian like person in charge of minors. No, uh, no. watching Cujo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Chucky. He sits, yeah. He sits them in front of horror movies. I literally had teachers that did that. I had a I had a teacher in high school that was just kind of like, fuck it, you're watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off today because I don't want to do it. Yep, same here. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, that's what we did. Uh, you know, uh just very much um it's not that he doesn't take the responsibility seriously. I think it's that he's just like, they'll be fine. They're kids uh, to the point to where they play with that trap and all hell breaks loose. You know, uh, he wants to see it work. Uh, you know, that scene where they're, you know, by the out by the bus messing with it. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. He's like, is that is that a is this a real ghost trap? You know. <laughs> oh my god! And he gets all excited. He is the audience surrogate for the thirty and forty somethings, right? Yeah. Uh, oh my god! It's a real Ghostbusters thing. Um. So, and the mother, the mother is just very obviously so bitter about her relationship or lack thereof to her father. His absence. Um. Her anger comes out pretty frequently and understandably um she's kind of jealous uh of phoebe it seems like in that well or just that thing of like oh you remind me of him uh which often happens with you know single parents usually about the father in this case about her own father but um you know uh that transference happens in families uh 
from time to time. So it's it's totally understandable. And she's just like blindsided by this like weirdo stuff, right? She she had no idea. She knew it would be a pain to like go deal with this farm that her dad had. Um, but like they were being, you know, essentially evicted from their apartment anyway in New York. So might as well pack up and go have a place to be while I figure myself out, right? So uh, I don't know, Desiree, did you have anything to add, uh, Rhea, the adults in the room versus their relationship to the kids? So I think the kids did a really good job of being strong, independent characters who could teach the adults things in a way that's reminiscent of a, um, like a how to train your dragon kind of series. So for those who might be unfamiliar, there's the book series for younger adults um, that was then translated into a movie and series of movies TV and shows, TV shows yeah. that are not at all like the books. Um, <laughs> so this reminded me more of the books because in the books, people are scared of dragons in the same way that people here are scared of ghosts or don't believe they exist kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so these kids are like those they're strong and independent and getting it done getting it done when the adults tell them they can't right um i do think the adults like john said are very much audience stand-ins for 30s and 40s people who would be nostalgic well dave you, you pointed that out earlier in specific yeah right yeah so so i don't I, know uh, i'm sorry go ahead no go ahead I did find the quote, and the quote that she said was that overstimulation calms her. And I also found a several places where they talk about Phoebe being the ultimate autistic uh, hero character because uh, she does exhibit various traits that are related to autism, such as the flat affect, you know, like that one part where she's like, oh, I don't look like I'm upset on the outside, but inside I'm vomiting. And having super passionate interests and, you know, very direct in her communications and challenging authority, masking where she, you know, acts a certain way when she's at school that's a little bit different than how she acts at home. You know, and like the mask comes off when she comes home. Sensory processing differences. And how she deals with that, like the overstimulation calms me thing. Deadpan delivery, friendships not coming easy, thriving under pressure, self-aware, uh, and also gender non-conforming because of the way that she dresses and, and things like that. So these are all different things uh, brought up as points discussing how she, you know, is basically an autistic hero, although they do not specifically say that she is autistic in the movie. If there is that one part during the date scene in the restaurant where the mom says, oh, well, the father just couldn't deal with her and and that's why he left. You know, like, couldn't deal with being around her or dealing with her and everything. You know, so all of that actually kind of hits home on, on some things about, you know, folks that I know who are on the spectrum and then also for situations that, you know, those folks have had to deal with in their lives. So. Yeah, they're, 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 um, fair points. And it's, um, if that's what they're doing, uh, that's a, a, a better 
portrayal than the last several movies that have centered around a person that has uh, that's on the spectrum where it's like autism is viewed as uh well it's set as like a detriment and also a superpower as far as like media is concerned and that's that's always done like i think a disservice um but this sort of portrayal is more realistic in 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 as much as this movie can be viewed as realistic it's more positive i would say for mm-hmm. sure so yeah actually i never would have thought about the autism thing uh, thing job now that you mentioned it i'm like yeah of course that makes total sense uh, they didn't see it so uh that's a great point thank you uh and also uh just to just want to say one last thing also like about the kids i thought the the casting of those kids was excellent i thought because they did uh, i thought because they could have gone with like kids who didn't have um who, who didn't really have an experience everybody i everybody's movie was actually is actually an experienced actor actress despite their age they've all been you know all of them have uh, uh, all of them have experienced experience being like various TV shows and movies over the years. So it's like they cast the movie very, very well. And like, I think their, their experience shows and it shows like they've been able to play their roles very, very well. Whereas like an experienced kids could have done that. I think that's how, what because I'm sure we've all seen movies where like they've grabbed a whole bunch of like cheap and experienced kids who, who don't know what they're doing. And the movie kind of suffers, suffers, suffers like a result of it. So I do appreciate that effort. Oh, definitely. And that's part of the thing for me, too. Whenever I see kids in movies, I'm always kind of like, oh, how's that going to go? But then, like, these kids really stick the landing on it. And in particular, of course, because they have the most screen time, I would say, um, you know, Phoebe and podcast in particular are really, really good, especially since... um, there are a lot of different elements that have to come into play with those characters because they have different levels that they're operating on uh, throughout the movie. And there's different nuances to the character that have to be remembered at all times. Trevor and Lucky are flatter characters just by virtue of not being on the screen as much or not having, you know, the chance to grow and have like an arc. And so they are a little bit easier to play. Although every every one of the actors and actresses, you know, did a very good job in this movie. And can I just say, just to skip over to something else, it was very pleasing to me to see J. Jonah Jameson pop out of a, a grave <laughs> in this movie. Um, <laughs> so, He's always a scene steer. I love him. He just yes. wanted photos of Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah i'm and sorry he he's torn in half yeah. yeah well he he will forever be j jonah jameson to me that's it that's all i have to say about that guy. my favorite line in the whole movie and there were a lot of good lines in the movie but my whole favorite line was again like a throwback one where it's like where it's like when the confronting goes at the end ray gets the chance to actually say to fix the mistake he made ghostbusters ghostbusters thing and tell gozer that yes we are gods you know that was great <laughs> Yeah. I like that Bill Murray turns to him and is like, come on, Rage! You know, like, <laughs> you can't do it again. <laughs> you know? Please don't do it again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think the, and, and all, all of those things together are, are what cement this to me as probably my favorite Ghostbusters film. Because it's not, uh, it doesn't feel 
like it's just trading on nostalgia. That's there that you have to kind of integrate that with something that's a sequel to such a 40 year old film. Uh, but putting it as um, homage to a specific actor and still kickstarting Ghostbusters for like another generation. Um, even if there weren't any sequels to this or nothing else comes of it, uh, it works as a, like a, uh, a pin in the cap, um, of Ghostbusters. I think it's, it's a good send off for it. You don't need to do more with this, but you, you can, and there's room for that without it being like, Hey, we are going to do a bunch of sequels. Yeah. And actually, it kind of makes me feel better about the movie that they didn't go into it automatically assuming sequels. Um, just because that's kind of what they did with Answer the Call. And like you said, if they go into it planning ahead and expecting a certain turnout, that almost never turns out right. So, for sure. Well, and the movie yeah, prompts. Uh, Sorry. Yes. Uh... Uh, sorry, I, I should say the movie had problems coming on. The movie had problems coming on the first place because, like, it was, it was because it was delayed for like eighteen months because of the pandemic uh, and just sitting on the shelf. They were trying to find a good time to release it, and they recently finally said, "Well, fuck it, we're not going to find a good time for it because the pandemic's never going to end." Apparently, and they finally just like got out the door. And I kind of wish the movie had come out before the pandemic because I think it would have done better had it come out in like in like pre-pandemic times unfortunately so i think the the timing of the movie didn't help put it to reception unfortunately and i also think it's another reason why we're, why we're, another reason why we're probably not gonna see a sequel unfortunately it just depends they um they they they're steadily changing uh how they're doing box office numbers and how they're doing releases some movies are sticking um to the uh, theatrical only release and that's to their detriment um in this day and age but a lot of them uh as well as ghostbusters um afterlife have done a uh like on-demand release in tandem with the theater or at least like a couple weeks later so they're you, you you're able to get a lot of these digitally um yeah. through streaming pretty quickly uh and that's um that's really helping with people that are just they don't want to go to the theater anymore. Yeah, just use current example, like you know, like the Batman. I really wanted to want to see, but I didn't want to like actually take the risk or the more of the money to go to the theater, to go to the theater and, and for a theater fight. Now it's on HBO. Um, yeah, and now it's on HBO Max. So yeah, and that and that was really quick after the um after the theatrical release of it. So that those kind of things are something to like factor in now versus before where you had you had like to wait two months um from when a movie was in the theater to when it uh was available on on home video yeah so overall i definitely feel that afterlife does have you know recognizable issues and some of those issues are ones that I had also said, you know, right after we watched it and then forgot to mention on the podcast until Desiree very kindly reminded me. <laughs> um, so, you know, it does have its issues, you know, with its its main things. Like, my main issues would be, like, you know, they didn't spend enough time explaining what happened with Egon and also uh, the whole 
Gozer and the dogs and the whatever all over again is just like, you could have done literally anything, literally anything, and you chose to go back to the same thing as before, you know? And that was just kind of like, can't they pick a different something? Like, does it have to be Gozer every time? Like, did, did they do that? Because the only movies that actually made, you know, the only movie that did really well was the one with Gozer in it, so they decided they were going to do Gozer every time? Or Bust? Like. <laughs> so, anyway, those are, those are the main things. I don't feel that I have any problems with, like, the uh, Stay Puff guys being there. I like the fact that it was very gremlins uh, when they showed up and also the whole part where Paul Rudd was just like in a Walmart getting a pint of ice cream and then here's the dog <laughs> chasing after him and stuff that was very good that was very good stuff to me so um but yeah and like uh another thing I wanted to mention is that when the mother at the end of the movie is trying to help her daughter like she's just unpossessed and just fig- you know come to grips with what's going on it has no real clue what's going on she's just like what and then she tries to stand up and do something, and then Phoebe gets in front of her, and she's the one who's taking control of the situation, and she's the one who's doing everything and protecting her mom. And that's just... If I were a little kid watching this movie, like Phoebe would be my absolute role model from now into infinity if I were a kid watching this, because that's the type of strong female lead character kid that I would have just been gaga for if it had ever been represented as a as a small kid myself because I never had a strong female lead character that was, you know, especially not my own age or whatever, you know, to, to look up to. So if I were a kid watching this, I would have absolutely loved Phoebe to death and I probably would have been absolutely on board with the whole idea of doing a series of this too, you know, mm-hmm. back in the day, so... Anyhow, uh, that's me and what I think about Afterlife. What what other thoughts do we have? Do we have anything uh, else that we needed to talk about with this? Uh, with Afterlife in particular or Afterlife versus Answer the Call or anything? I don't think so. These unfortunately had a, a lack of uh, ghosts for Ghostbusters movies. Mm-hmm. There's a couple fun ones, but the, again, they're just retreads of ones we already discussed. However, the them being reboots and sequels uh in of their own like worked fine like they're they're worth they're worth watching um particularly afterlife with with the caveat that you watch probably at least ghostbusters one (laughs) oh i will say though the thing that we mentioned about the ghosts in the original ghostbusters movies and who's going to take responsibility if grandma gets stuck in the containment unit? Well, this is literally Phoebe's grandfather is a ghost and they don't bust that ghost. No, they just (laughs) watch him become a sparkle. Yeah. He becomes a sparkle in the eyes and goes to heaven or whatever. And like, you know, anyhow, like it just kind of calls back to that. And also these kids don't have a containment unit, so they can't even do like the full Ghostbusters thing at the end of this movie unless they, they set up something else no. going forward. Like Phoebe creates a new version of it or whatever. So, yeah, I, I, that's one thing that I had I've forgotten to mention about um, uh, Answer the Call is that it nodded to them trying to buy the fire station or like rent whatever oh, yeah. and it was like so expensive that they had to get a little sh- store above a chinese restaurant yeah 
<laughs> like that's yeah. what they could afford. Um, and that only got worse as <laughs> time has gone on. So the going from that to like um, Phoebe's mother uh, and then hoping to get out of New York and get this inheritance house and inher- not even the house, but like get some kind of money from her, her, her dad and finding out that no you're actually saddled with debt and the mortgage for this house so have fun with that yeah that that was it so greg final thoughts on whatever stuff um yeah uh like i said well i think i I think i said um i think i said mostly everything i wanted to say i I think afterlife was a very good movie it was it, it was certainly I certainly, um, I certainly wish I hadn't, like I said before, I, I, um, I wish I hadn't had a way to see it because I did see it, like, but I did enjoy it. Um, it's kind of re-sparked my interest in Ghostbusters because, like, you know, I, because Ghostbusters was something I was really big into as a kid and then I kind of, like, dropped off on it for the longest time. And now I'm like, well, you know, like, maybe I should, um, you know, maybe I should go back and, um, you go back and play the game again or see other cartoons hold up after all this time or whatnot. It's kind of like, you know, like, it kind of re-sparked my interest in the franchise, which I was, which I was not expecting, uh, for somebody, for, uh, uh, for, uh, especially for somebody like my age, uh, but then, then, then I do have the nostalgia of having having grown up watching the original movies or, or whatnot. But uh, yeah, so um, I do, I do, I do hope they make another movie, uh, even if it's not, uh, maybe, uh, maybe it's not a sequel. I certainly, would, I certainly think there's, there's, there's plenty of material for this well to be dug into. This is not a franchise that's been tapped out. There's all kinds of like you know like real life legends and ghost stories and, and inspirations and whatnot that they can actually use to make a very good inspired story um with it and like there's there's so much and that's the thing there's so much potential with this franchise i think i think that i think that even though the franchise does kind of always try to try to try to strike it try to be based off like real life events or ghost huntings or whatnot there's they've only scratched the tip of the iceberg as far as stuff as far as stuff they could dig into to make it like really like a, some good stuff here and like and most of it's most of it seems and most of it most of it has either been bad and most of the years has, has either been done badly or or or, or, or to kids. Not that there's anything wrong with having having stuff having stuff like in for kids, but it's like I think there's enough stuff here to be where you could where you could market it to both kids and adults. I think this movie did a very good job of like crossing the line between that and giving something for both kids and adults to enjoy. Kind of like a Pixar movie, so I just think there's so much potential here that can be tapped. So, so, so certainly hope they, certainly hope is hope the franchise does not go into development hell again for another like 10, 15 years. Yeah, we'll have to see like what comes of that. And well, I mean, speaking of nostalgia trips, there is still both real Ghostbusters and Extreme Ghostbusters to take a look at a little bit. Uh, those are longer series than are going to be covered uh, fully on the podcast, but at least a few episodes will probably take a look at them. Uh, Desiree and John, you guys have any last thoughts? Uh, so, I mean, it wasn't a bad... Uh, it was definitely a, an enjoyable watch, for sure. Um, had my problems with it, like some of the characters some of the character writing of Egon but the kids were very strong characters like Jella said they would make great role models for young adults today so it is a nice entry point into this franchise for younger audiences a lot of the nostalgia stuff 
didn't land necessarily with me, but of course the Stay Puff guys were pretty cute. I would also enjoy seeing if they go somewhere else with the franchise, but doing something different with it, even if it is a ghost of the week kind of thing, that could be a strong format if they shore up some of the the other areas. But overall, it was definitely a fun thing to watch. Might want to watch the 1984 movie just to have context for some of the callbacks, but also I don't know if that's 100% necessary. Yeah, I think it frames itself enough to where it, it, it plugs in the few little YouTube videos and other clippings that kind of give more context. Um, but John, go ahead. Yeah, um, I think overall, uh, I did enjoy both films. Um, I think that uh, the, the backlash in particular to the 2016 film was something that what I found troubling at the time it didn't cause me to like see the film uh necessarily uh some people uh including people that I haven't spoken to in a long time and probably won't again uh would maintain <laughs> that that movie studios uh or executives specifically seek out this type of negative publicity um as a kind of promotional tool to drive engagement, you know, that sort of no press, no publicity is bad publicity or type of ideology, uh, which I don't think I argued this point at the time uh, when I had this discussion that I don't think anyone sets out to make a terrible movie that everyone will hate. Um, that does not make any kind of sense from a financial standpoint. If you are bankrolling the movie, uh, or and I certainly wouldn't want to be like some sort of, you know, uh, a Mel Brooks producer's situation where I am specifically trying to write the most terrible movie imaginable to, <laughs> to somehow scam everyone and and run away with all the money. Um, don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I, well, I know the uh, the cause and effect the the effect of the, of that movie was answer the call, uh, and as as dismissive as I was about sort of the setup to it being you know designed by committee, I I think that it was successful in what it attempted to do, which is uh, reengage people that um, might have fallen away because of the previous film, and give some kind of spark that that uh, some hopefulness in uh the good characterization of the kids and kind of the core message um uh delivered and and also you know just uh as as Jala mentioned the um personal involvement of uh you know um uh the 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 Egon's uh daughter you know uh those those types of things um uh very much make help solidify the legacy of this film and ensure that there could there is a possibility for for future installments i think yeah yeah no i i agree with that um it's they're they're both enjoyable in their own way uh i really i just i remember the like the backlash around um answer the call and 
all that did was just make me not really care about seeing the movie. Like I, I didn't have like a negative feeling, but I just wasn't engaged. It wasn't like, oh, I need to go see this movie. I'll just wait till it comes on Netflix or something. Um, but when we finally watched it, even though it's a few years later, it was like, oh, actually, that was this was pretty funny. I, I, I would I wouldn't have been remiss in watching that like when it came out. But you know, oh well. <laughs> Sure. It eventually, and, and it was it was just that that was kind of the beginning of this this cultural like you know because it came around with Last Jedi and um, you know people got all upset about that and I'm sure there's you know two or three others uh, that I'm blanking on in the moment. It just seems to keep happening, and I just I cannot for the life of me imagine a situation where I'm trying to make a bad movie. Um, now bad movies get made and that's okay. But I, I think that all the, all the noise aside, this was a fine 2016 Ghostbusters. It's a fine movie. It's, it's not, uh, you know, like we've said multiple times, it's not, not really deserving of, of, uh, quite the, the intense critical response, uh, that it preemptively received as I think Greg mentioned this before the film even came out, people were just, you know, ready uh, with to sick the dogs on them. So very, very puzzling to me. Yeah. Well, I think that that, that wraps us up uh, for this episode. Jolly, did you have anything else? Nope. Nope. Yep. That, that will do it for this episode. We'll just do a little bit of admin and then we will sign off for the night. So Jala, where can folks find you on the internets? They can find me on the internet at the regular podcast that I am usually on, thelevelpodcast.com, also found on any social media or other sites like Twitch and YouTube, etc., at Jala Chan, J-A-L-A-C-H-A-N. All right, Greg, how about yourself? Well, uh, I do a, well, I do a podcast regularly, like I'm a co-host, uh, Super NES podcast, where we cover Super NES games. Uh, you can find that podcast on Facebook or uh, Facebook, or you can also just do like a Google search for it. Um, and uh, yeah, we cover we, we cover we cover Super NES games twice a week. So um, that's the main thing that I do. All right, Desiree, how about yourself? Well, I am pretty much a ghost on the internet, but uh, occasionally show up on Twitter where I would be at D-Nyans, so that's D-N-E-Y-E-N-S. All right, and John? Uh, I am also not super online, uh, but if you find me, I will be at Tethelus on Twitter, T-E-H-T-I-L-U-S. All right, you can find me on Twitter as well at sentinot underscore plus. That will be in the show notes, as will um, the information for everybody else. Uh, just to make it easy, the podcast itself you can find at monsterdeer.monster or on Twitter at mon underscore dmonster. Uh, it was a blast having everyone back on again. I know it's a, a, a full house with this many people uh, on the recording session but that's just how we roll sometimes. And uh, it was great to have everyone to talk about these zany Ghostbuster movies once again. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank, thank you so you. much.
yeah anytime we'll uh we'll have to figure out what the what the next to do is uh, but for now that's us signing off and we will talk to you folks next time bye-bye bye 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 bye